Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Flip on over to Matthew chapter 5. I want to start there. I feel like we should probably start there every week. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is in the middle of a, a sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, affectionately. Uh, Jesus was actually had just stopped on a hillside to teach his disciples because they had been doing ministry with Jesus, and he hadn't, he hadn't taken them to the classroom yet. He had just been doing ministry. They had been watching and participating, so it was about time for Jesus to kind of sit down with them and explain what they had been experiencing and help them understand kind of the higher view of the things of God and this calling that they were stepping into as an apostle. So as Jesus is teaching to the 12, hundreds of other people gather around because Jesus just spoke with such authority and such fervor and just, it was so electric when he communicated like people would come in and want to hear what he had to say. And so as Jesus was teaching, the crowd gathered around. He called out, called out to those that were a part of the family of God and said, hey, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 14, Grace Bible, you are the light of the world. A city that has been set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all of the house in the same way. Grace Bible, followers of Jesus, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't think there's any argument that Jesus is calling us to live our faith out loud. That a walk with Christ is not meant to be something done in the shadows. It's meant to be done in the public square, in your community, in your office space, at home, with your friends. Like, this isn't supposed to be some secret faith. This is supposed to be on clear display through our lives. Not, not because you've just committed to being an obnoxious, outspoken Christian. No, but because you're living with such surrender that you've given full permission to the life of Jesus to be displayed through your life to season your conversations, to be your extra measure of grace, to be your extra measure of resilience, to be able to forgive, like to be your words to that neighbor, to be that kind word to a friend, to be the one to stop in the grocery store and pray for the person that's struggling. Like Jesus means to live his life in a public way through us, but Jesus goes on to tell us, chapter six, flip over one page, even though I want my life to be clearly displayed through your life, there's three things, three things that aren't for the world to see. They're just between you and me. Three things that I have reserved that are meant to be just intimate expressions of our communion together. As your Savior, you as my servant, like these three specific things aren't meant to be on full display. They're meant to be done in secret, Jesus says, with all three of these things. Thing number one we talked about last week is that our giving is meant to be done in secret. The way that we give to the Lord, the way that we give to serve, to meet the needs of others, our giving is meant to be done as a private offering of worship to God. Now, we talked about that in detail last week. If you missed it, you can always check out our uh, sermons on YouTube, Facebook, our website. Um, but let's be honest, you're not always able to give in secret. Sometimes when you give, there's no other option than to give publicly. Some of you walked up this morning with a box that is bright red and bright green, that said Operation Christmas Child, and you came and you brought that gift. People saw you. 
You couldn't help that because we put the tables out front. <laughs> there was no private way to give, was there? You're not always going to be able to give privately. The question is not how private can you give. The question is, is even your public giving a private offering of worship to God? Or are you doing it, as Jesus said, in order to be seen by others? Big difference, isn't it? Because if your giving is being done in order to be seen by others, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you have already received your reward in full. That was about you. It wasn't about me. You've already got your applause from men. So no applause from heaven on that one. Even when your giving can't be private, it still needs to be a private offering of worship between you and the Lord. Not meant to bring attention to yourself, but meant to bring glory to him. But he doesn't stop at giving. He goes into thing number two, prayer. Do y'all pray? Do y'all pray only when you need something? Is Jesus like a spare tire to you or a steering wheel to you? Which one is he, huh? Yeah, I hear y'all, a steering wheel. I hope so. Do y'all pray? Do you pray equally as fervently when things are good as when they are bad? Do you? I don't. Now, maybe y'all judge me. I don't know. But, like, there's something about when things go sideways in my life that my prayers get a whole lot more intense, a whole lot more diligent, a whole lot more focused, a whole lot more sincere. It must just be me. I don't know. Maybe the other two services can relate. Let me ask that again. Are your prayers when things are going good just as intense, as sincere as when times get tough? You know, prayer is one of the things that Jesus said clearly is meant to be a private exchange between he and us. It's one of those three big things that aren't meant to be lived out loud in the public square. They are meant to be an intimate, behind closed doors, this is just me and you, Jesus, kind of exchange. And this is how Jesus describes it to us. He says, and when you pray, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, say hypocrite. And when you pray, you, you probably don't see yourself as a hypocrite, do you? Huh? Well, hey, if, you're, if, if you are brand new to church and you decided, you know, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites in the church, to which I would say, yes, that's why we do church. It's full of them, including the guy with the microphone wrapped around his head. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. And have you heard this phrase before? That they may be seen by others. That's the motivation of their heart. They're doing it to be seen. They're doing it to be noticed. They're doing it to draw attention to themselves. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not. Here's the second do not. He's given us two do nots and a do, just like last week. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That was kind of a generic term of anybody outside the household of faith. Pagans, heathens, Gentiles, anybody outside the household of faith. He says, don't heap up empty phrases as they do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Some of your Bibles say, don't babble on like pagans. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Hey, that's pretty sweet. Someone needs to underline that in their Bible this morning. Your father knows what you need even before you ask. Isn't that a good, good father? Let's stop right here and talk about the two don'ts before we dive into the do. Let me, you're going to hear some echoing themes from last week to this week and likely 
even in the next week. So let, let, here's the big takeaway. Uh, last week we learned that a giving Savior should have giving disciples. Well, the same is true of prayer. A praying Savior should have praying disciples. Wouldn't you agree? It's a big takeaway. And I'm talking about praying like Jesus prayed, following the model of his prayer, praying with the same intensity and sincerity, praying like Jesus prayed. A praying Savior should have praying disciples because we're following in his footsteps. We're being covered in the dust of his feet as we are following that closely behind him like a praying Savior should have praying disciples for sure. And so the first thing that he says, he calls out to the hypocrites and the heathens, let's say. He says, don't be a hypocrite and stand up in the synagogue or out in the public square to pray in public just to be seen by others. So is he saying that anybody pray, who prays publicly is being a hypocrite? No, he's talking about the condition of our heart when we are praying in front of others. The sincerity of our heart when we are praying, when people are listening in. You know, I think about the, the college kid, the young single college guy who goes out to dinner with the college group. You know, this probably happens here at GBC. And around the table as they're about to have a meal, you know, there's a bunch of single, beautiful college girls that are sitting around the table with him, and so he volunteers to do the prayer, you know what I'm saying? And then he stands up to pray over the meal, and it's this like really King James version, like really articulate, oh gracious God, I beseech thee. I'm like, bro, we're about to have dinner, and you can't even spell beseech, okay? <laughs> Jesus said, hypocrites pray to be seen by others. This is meant to be a private interaction between you and I. But let's be honest, like as a part of my role in this church and in this community, I pray publicly a lot. I will before today's over. As a matter of fact, I'm going to trust that the people of GBC, that many of you are among the spiritual leaders of your families. And so when Thanksgiving comes around the corner, you're probably going to get tapped on the shoulder to bless the food or whatever it is your family calls it. And you're going to pray. And you're going to pray publicly. Just as I have to oftentimes pray publicly in crowds of people, and I'm reminded when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, he says, hey, make sure, O oh follower of Christ, that even your public prayers are private interactions between you and God. You hear what I'm saying? Even your public prayers are private interactions between you and God. He's not asking, are you praying and being heard? by others. He's asking, are you praying to be heard by others? Because I'd have to ask the question, if you are praying and being heard by others, this is something that can point them to the Lord. This is something that can Matthew chapter 5. They can see the light and move towards the power of God. How many of you have heard somebody else pray and it moved you towards a closer relationship with Jesus? I know I have. But how many of you had heard somebody pray that it was just like, obviously they weren't talking to God, they were talking to y'all. They were like, preach praying. The question is, are you praying and being heard by others, or are you praying to be heard by others? And if you are praying to be heard by others, let me ask you this. Who is it then that you are praying to? The people who are listening in have no power. The people who are listening in are not the ones that we will stand before one day to give an answer for why we didn't say the things we did and didn't do and didn't say the things that we didn't do. You know, Jesus tells us that a hypocrite 
uses his public prayers as a means to highlight his own spirituality. So that brings up yet another question for me is, are your public prayers more robust than your private ones? For those of you that do pray publicly. Are your public prayers more thoughtful and robust and articulate and intense and sincere than the ones that you have in the quietness of your own house when it's just you and the Lord talking? If you could say yes to any of these questions that I've been asking, then Jesus is calling out in us this subtle hypocrisy that's in us when it comes to our prayer lives. That there's a mixed motivation there. That we've missed the point of what of what prayer was meant to be and the great gift that it is, that God has even allowed us an avenue, a forum to be able to meet with him. We've turned it into something else. Too many of us have become hypocritical in our prayers, and Jesus calls us to the carpet on that. And yet, I still hear the the handful of people, probably the large crowd of people in this room and throughout this weekend say, well, I don't need to worry about that because I ain't never praying publicly in front of people. That ain't happening. Can't do it. Too nervous, can't do it. My prayer is just between me and the Lord. Don't ask me to pray publicly. Hey, I want to encourage you, like, your opportunities to be able to get before the presence of God while you're in the presence of others is a great gift. And I don't want you to worry about how how skilled you are at the art of speaking. Remember, who is it that you are praying to anyways? Who is it that you are seeking to be heard from anyways? I want to remind you, this, this quote I heard this week, I thought it was pretty cool. Max Licato, the old wordsmith himself, says this. He says, our prayers may be awkward, Our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. There it is, folks. The power of prayer is in the one who hears it. So who is it that we're talking to? May we not fall into the category of hypocrites who are praying in order to be heard by others. But Jesus says, go into your inner room, close the doors, pray to your Father who is in secret. So that he who sees in secret and hears in secret will reward you. And again, we talked about it last week, that idea of the reward. Like, what's he talking about? I can can tell you with great assurance, like, that the reward that you're going to get of God as you sincerely get before him is just the reward of his, his presence, his peace that surpasses all understanding, his joy that comes from within, that can only come from the Lord. Like, it's a deeper place in you where God is going to meet the needs that you didn't even know that you had. The reward of the presence of God. Because you're leaning towards him. You're focusing your gaze on him. You're walking into that presence, even if it's in the privacy of your own home and in your own prayer closet. He doesn't just talk to the hypocrites. He also calls out to the heathens here. He calls them Gentiles, the pagans, the people outside the household of faith is who he refers to. And he says, well, hypocrites pray to be seen by others, but heathens heap up empty phrases or just babble on like pagans or just ramble, ramble, ramble through their prayers. Listen, never ask somebody like that to pray when it's time to eat, just so you know. Okay, like be selective this Thanksgiving. All right, I'm giving you this free of charge. Don't ask that person in your family that babbles on like a pagan when you got hot food on the table. And they want to be a refrigerator prayer in the name of Jesus and your whole meal go cold. Be selective. I specialize in sincere, short, dinnertime prayers. Because I am thankful for this food that we are about to eat, Lord. We got it because you are gracious. Amen. Like, we ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to glorify God while I'm eating this good food. 
Hey, heathens heap up empty phrases. They babble on like pagans. Hey, this, this doesn't mean that your prayers should be short. This doesn't mean that you should be quick and succinct with your prayers. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches more in detail. He tells a parable in Luke chapter 18. Write this down. You're going to need to read this for homework this weekend. Luke chapter 18, Jesus teaches a parable about how we, as the people of God, we ought to always pray and not lose heart. In other words, keep on bringing it before the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Keep on having a conversation with God. Pray at length about your stuff. Get before the Lord over and over again. Pray pray repeatedly. Pray fervently. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he is talking about, again, it's the same theme. It's just heaping up empty phrases, babbling on like a pagan, either to be heard by others or simply just because this is what you normally say when you sit down at the dinner table or get ready to go to bed. Empty phrases. Thoughtless sentiments that we just become accustomed to saying at certain points in our routine and in our schedule, and we just kind of hurl those up at God without an ounce of sincerity or without an ounce of care. Let let me ask you, um, for those of you that from time to time you'll go to the mailbox and you get in the mailbox, this will probably happen more often as we get close to Christmas or maybe around your birthday or whatever, like you pull open the mailbox You pull out a water mail, you go into the house, you begin to open it up. There's been a card addressed directly to you. You open up the card, and in that card, all right, somebody has sent a card to you to say happy birthday, happy anniversary, Merry Christmas, or whatever. They went out and purchased this card, which is a nice sentiment, and it has some thoughtful words, none of which did they pin themselves, and they just signed their name at the bottom. You've gotten those cards before, right? They just grabbed it off the shelf, wrote their name on the bottom, mailed it to you. It's a sweet thought, but what'd you do with it? Oh, that's nice. Into the trash. Let's be honest, okay? Some of y'all might put it up on the mantle, but you're just wanting to throw it away. I, I just go ahead and throw it away. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, that was a nice thought. Thanks, Bob. Into the trash. But what about when you open that card and somebody has like handwritten and penned thoughtful words that are specific to your relationship to them. Words of thanks and gratitude and admiration and celebration. What happens when you read a card like that? That one goes up on the mantle. That one gets placed at the edge of your desk at work. That one is one that you hang on to and you put into a, into a collection of cards that you have gathered throughout the years where somebody took the time to really love you and encourage you. Like, do you see the difference between the two? You know how, how wildly different you feel when you open up cards of the different type? My question is, and Jesus asked the question, how many of us are sending pre-written cards to God and just signing our name at the bottom? And pretending like we have an intimate and sincere prayer life with God. Because every morning we wake up, we heap up some empty phrases that we always heap up. And when we sit down to meals, we heap up some more empty phrases. And when we get ready for bed, we heap up some more empty phrases. And when we pray with our kids before they go to bed, we heap up some more empty phrases. And we just keep handing God cards that were pre-written and we just sign our name at the bottom. Versus when we take the time to pin from our heart. Things that are specific between our relationship to him. 
I can tell you, I bet God probably feels a whole lot like you do when he opens those cards and when he hears those prayers. He leans into those. He cherishes those because that is an intimate connection with his child that just some thoughtless sentiment doesn't have. Now, it's good when you have little kids um, to kind of teach them to, you know, rattle off some, because they're learning how to pray. You know, your, your two and three-year-olds, you sit down and you pray, God is great, God is good, let us thank you for our food. By his hands we are fed, thank you God for daily bread, amen. You need to be teaching your kids prayers like that, that helps them learn how to pray, how to form a sentence in their prayer, how to communicate with God, and that's awesome when they're two and three, but are your kids still praying the same things at eight and nine? Are they just heaping up empty phrases because they're used to mom and dad heaping up empty phrases? Are they, have they also learned to just grab somebody else's card and sign their name at the bottom and assume that that's equally as intimate? Jesus says, don't do as the heathens do. Jesus says, pray with sincerity. Pray with fervency. Pray with Focus on the Lord, focusing on him, because I, I can tell you, insincere prayers are powerless prayers. Insincere prayers are powerless prayers. So Jesus goes on to say, well, this is how you should pray. He, he doesn't get into explaining to us if we should play, pray, or even tells us, he doesn't even tell us what to pray right here, but he says, this then is how you should pray. Now, what's pretty cool about this is in a similar engagement that Jesus had with his disciples in Luke chapter 11. It's actually the disciples that asked Jesus, in, in Luke's account, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says these words we're about to read, which is cool to me because like when the disciples call out to Jesus, say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I'm reminded that the disciples were men of prayer. They've been praying their whole life. Prayer wasn't a new concept to them. They grew up in families that prayed. They knew that prayer was the right thing to do. They had probably regular prayer routines in their life, but yet something was different when they heard Jesus pray. There's something so much more powerful, so much more real, so much more tangible. It almost sounded like Jesus was speaking to God, like he was speaking to a father, not some far-off cosmic being. But Jesus spoke to a friend and a loved one when he bowed his head to pray to the Father. And so the disciples call out in Luke 11 and say, oh, Jesus, like, you're going to have to show us how to pray. We've never seen anybody pray like that. We've never seen so much sincerity and power and authority in your prayers. And so Jesus begins to teach them how to pray. And we get kind of the full-length version here in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, just before we jump into this, I don't know what your prayers sound like when you are getting before the Lord, but this is a reacquaintance to how to have powerful, sincere, meaningful, and thoughtful prayers as you speak to the Lord. If I had to guess, many 21st century Christians' prayers probably sound like this. Dear Jesus, I need, I need, I need... Please, 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 amen. All right, probably not any of you. Maybe just me. But no, when Jesus talks about how to pray, he says these words, words that we have actually for centuries prayed, these exact words. And these are beautiful words to pray. But understand that Jesus wasn't telling us what to pray. He was telling us how to pray, and he gives us kind of a model. 
an example of what prayer should look like. And so let's just take a rolling commentary to see what this prayer looked like. He starts out, notice where he's, pay close attention to how Jesus is teaching them to pray here. The first thing that he tells them to do is, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Where is, where is the attention of the prayer meant to be first? On the Lord on his holiness, on his set-apartness, on his majesty, on his glory, that there is none other like him. I tell you, we oftentimes come to God in prayer with all of our attention focused on the thing we're worried about. And I can tell you, like, wherever your heart is focused on is going to be magnified in your mind, okay? Pay close attention. When you come to the Lord in prayer, whatever your heart is focused on is what's going to be magnified in your mind. So Jesus says, don't come to God with your problem at the forefront of your conversation. Come to God with the glory of God at the forefront of your prayer so that it magnifies him. So that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our Father who art in heaven, holy, set apart is your name. There is none like you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I would be lying to say that most of my prayers don't revolve around my will. I typically come to God oftentimes, at least throughout my life, and I'm sure many of you do too, trying to arm twist or arm wrestle a yes out of God. And if I bring it to him enough, and if I say all the right words, I'll even try the King James if he ain't hearing me, and I'll call on my prayer warriors out there, to help me arm wrestle the yes out of God. Because I come to him saying, God, my kingdom come. My will be done. I need you to do things my way. And so that's why I keep bringing it up to you. Jesus says, no, 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 our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my house as it is in heaven. In my marriage as it is in heaven. In my business as it is in heaven. I wonder if you're seeing the difference yet between how you pray and how Jesus taught us how to pray. And he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. Hey, guess what? You do have needs that need to be brought before God. And you have a tender, loving father that already knows your need before you ask, but he wants to hear it from you. He wants to continue to consult with you over that need. He wants to continue to minister to you in that need. He wants you to keep bringing it before his feet. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. We need to take a quick commercial break right here and jump down a few verses. Jesus says some words about forgiveness a little bit later that we need to take a close look at and make sure we have the right view of biblical forgiveness in our prayers as, as to how this exchange works between God and us and others. This is how Jesus puts it. If you forgive others, verse 14... If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive yours. Some of you have heard this before. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Weighty words, right? Woo! You read something like that, man, it gets you trembling in your boots. I start thinking about all the areas of unforgiveness in my life. I think, whoa, like I need the forgiveness of God. But, but it says right here like, that there's a mathematical exchange. That God only forgives me if I forgive others. Let me, let me give some context to this. Remember, I always talk about how important context is when we're reading the scriptures. Let's get some context to this so that you know what Jesus means by this. Now listen, um, when Jesus preached this sermon, 
And when he said these words, what had Jesus not done yet? Okay? He had not yet died on the cross, been buried, resurrected. He had not yet defeated sin, death, and the grave. He had not yet paid the price that we could not pay. He was not yet done living the life that we could not live. He had not yet gone to the cross to pay the ransom so that we could have forgiveness from God. We were not yet in the new covenant with God when Jesus said these words. We were still in the what covenant? The old covenant. Jesus was teaching these words under the law and under the old covenant. Let let me basically sum up Genesis through the cross and these words. This is how the old covenant worked. God told us all throughout the old covenant, if you do this, then I will do that. It was an if-then covenant. And then God got up off the throne. He shed his royal robes. He put on skin. He moved into the neighborhood. And he went to the cross. And he was resurrected from the grave three days later. And he invited us into a new covenant that says, even though you didn't and even though you couldn't, I did it anyways. See the difference? And so he tells us these words. Now, God's heart for forgiveness never changed. But the posture of which we find the energy to forgive changed at the cross. Here in the old covenant, we had to forgive in order to be forgiven. As a part of the new covenant, we forgive because we have been forgiven. You hear what I'm telling you? You're not trying to work for the forgiveness of God by forgiving others. But it's because of the forgiveness of God in your life that you freely forgive others. It's so much more powerful than an if-then covenant. When you realize that he did it for you even though you didn't. All of a sudden we're moving from a place. We're coming from a place of acceptance and forgiveness of God. And we can freely forgive others because we know how deep and how high and how wide the forgiveness of Jesus must have been for us. The, motiv- the motivation is greater. That was commercial breakover. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, Jesus, I need wisdom. I need direction. I've got a decision coming up. I don't want to go the wrong way. I've got a sin struggle in my life that I don't want to keep succumbing to. Yes, Jesus, I need your direction. Keep me from temptation. Keep me aligned with your word and your ways. I don't know if you can see it yet or not, um, but this prayer that Jesus modeled for us so that we would model our prayers has, has so much more power than the prayers that I usually offer. It certainly has so much more power than, dear Jesus, I need, I need, I need. Please, 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 amen. You see the difference? Imagine how extraordinarily rich and powerful your relationship with God would be if we started communing with him like Jesus modeled for us. Now, I don't want to leave you hanging because I know that was a lot to absorb. And with me doing a rolling commentary, we might have got lost in the word. So let me just sum it up for you like this. This tool was given to me a long time ago. Some of you have seen this before. And every few years, I roll this out. This is not a direct reflection of 
Jesus' modeled prayer, but this is kind of a, this is something that's easy to remember that was modeled after how Jesus told us how to pray. This is something you'll be able to remember and absorb and put into practice in your life starting today that will radically change your prayer life. This is called, some of you have heard this before, this is called the Acts Prayer. Acts, it's an acrostic, A-C-T-S. It's modeled after Jesus' prayer right here in Matthew chapter 6. Um, so the Acts prayer goes like this, A-C-T-S. This is, this is the order of operations in your prayers with the Lord. It starts with our Father who art in heaven, adoration. That's the A. Adoration. Because I'm going to focus my heart's attention on the Lord, and I'm going to take it off of my earthly things, the things that are weighing heavily on my mind, the things that prompted me to remember to pray because I'm going through a tough time. I'm going to start with adoration of God because I know like whatever I focus my heart on is going to get magnified in my mind. And I want to focus on the glory of God so that he becomes so much bigger to me than my problem is because, hey, believe it or not, Grace Bible, he is so much bigger than your problem is. And so I'm going to start by adoration, focusing on who God is, his worthiness, the fact that there is no other one like him, that he is worthy of my worship and my prayer and my time and my energy and my focus and my family. Like I'm going to just spend a moment just adoring God for who he is. And I tell you what's going to happen. When you come into sincerely spending a moment of adoring God, the next natural transition of your heart is going to head towards confession, the sea. You can't help when you stare into the face of holiness, but to recognize how far you have fallen short of the glory of God. So we move into confession. We know, and John tells us that if we confess our sins before the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Like we move into confession because after I just focused on the Lord for a moment when I started my prayer, I just realized how petty my thing was, how much I had been worshiping and glorifying my issue, how much I had forgotten that he rules supreme even over my hard stuff. And so I confessed to him. I confess that there's sin in my life. I confess that I've got priorities out of whack. I confess that I'm prone to wander. I spent a moment in confessing, recognizing those areas of my life that aren't clearly Image like the life of Jesus, and I confess those to the Lord. As I'm adoring him, I begin to confess. And I tell you, the next natural transition of your heart after you've kind of looked at God and then looked back at you and then confessed some things to the Lord, you won't be able to help yourself but to move into the T, which is thanksgiving. Just remembering that what God has done for us through Jesus that our hope doesn't have to be rested in this world and in our problems because of the salvation of the Savior. We've been set free from sin and death and the grave that we have a higher kingdom that we serve and a higher king and a greater hope. And so we give thanks, not only to those things spiritual, but those things physical, thanking him, counting your many blessings, thanking him for the stuff that is going on in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, just spending a moment in thanksgiving with the Lord. And then... After that thanksgiving, this is all of our favorite part. Most of our prayers are consumed. Supplication. This is usually the one at the top of the list. Supplication means your requests. Bringing your stuff to God. Yes, there is a place in your prayers where you do say, Jesus, I need, I need, I need. Please, 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 please. There's a right place for that. 
and our prayers, but I can tell you, like, the way you, by the time you go through this journey, the way you feel about the thing is going to already have been transforming. The Lord will have already been stepping into that because you have focused on him and not on your stuff. But yeah, bring that stuff before the Lord. Bring it in great detail before the Lord. Bring it up as often as you need to before the Lord. He already knows that it's on your heart. There's no reason in hiding it, but remember as you bring that supplication for God, before God, that he tells us, hey, I know you need that, and I knew that you needed it even before you asked. I'm paying close attention to you. I know what's going on. I feel the pain you're feeling. There's a journey at work. I'm doing something in your life. You keep bringing that to me. I'm going to keep shaping you through that situation. One day I may totally remove that situation out of your life, or one day I may totally change the way you see about that situation, but I am all up in this. I'm paying attention. This is an easy kind of framework to remember how Jesus modeled the prayer, and look how more powerful and substantive your relationship with Jesus will be. If we're not just saying, Jesus, please, 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 all right, I'm out. It could change everything. Now, the reason why we did just a couple of worship songs at the beginning of today is because we wanted to spend a little bit more time in worship and prayer. I want to ask Jason and the team to come back up here. I don't want to talk about prayer without us getting a chance to respond immediately. And for some of you that are just learning about kind of an axe model of prayer, this isn't the only way to do it. This is just a way to remember it so that you can take this away from you right now today. I hope that some of you, for the first time maybe ever, you will step into a moment of Acts-type prayer as we have a couple more songs of worship. This, this, time is, now, this time is about worshiping the Lord and praying to him. And yes, believe it or not, like all, the songs we sing are prayers to God. So maybe you need to pray the song. Maybe the song is saying what it is that, you, that your heart's trying to say. Uh, maybe, it is that, maybe it is that you just need to stay seated and just have some quiet prayer between you and the Lord. Maybe it is that uh, you need to come to the altar and just as a physical act of surrender, just come bow your heart before the king and get before him and confess and adore and give thanks and offer up prayers and petitions of supplication. We're going to go into that for the next few minutes in the church service today. But would you start by just praying with me? Let's pray together. And yes, I'm going to pray publicly. But Father, I want this time of prayer and worship to just be between me and you. And I know that these folks are listening in, but God, hear my heart that you are worthy. You are wonderful. You have been so faithful. You are trustworthy. I adore you. I need you because there's none like you. And God, I am one who is prone to wonder. My priorities get out of whack easily because I focus on those things and not on you. God, I confess that. I confess that there's sin that I struggle with. I confess that there's just stuff in my life that you see clearly. 
that you are calling out in me to surrender to you, doubt and worry. So God, I bring that to you as an offering of worship because I do trust you. I just get weary in the journey because I just don't, sometimes I just don't know how to surrender well. God, but I am thankful for your kindness to me that is consistent and faithful. Thank you for meeting all my needs. Thank you for meeting the needs that I didn't even know that I had. Thank you for your love for me. I thank you for how your love for me is displayed through the wife that you gave me. I'm thankful for your many blessings in my life. Lord, I need you. I need your direction. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your comfort. You know the stuff intimately that I need. In Grace Bible, let's spend a time in prayer and worship. You sit, you stand, you come to the altar. This is your time of having a private interaction between you and Lord. Precious blood 